Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for the reaction to the first Arrive Early, Leave Late podcast. I know you're thinking the name. Yeah, you're right. We do come out early. We do leave late, right? Dodger fans, Laker fans, I saw them both last week. You guys came out strong for the NLCS. Came out strong for first LeBron game in L.A. And the reaction to the podcast. I went on iTunes. I, I read the reviews. And hold on. Can we start this over? Because now the boss is here. Let me be important. Are you, are you going to get in front of the mic? I'm here. You're going to be I'm here. Yeah, I, I was hearing you go on. So I was curious about where this uh, segment was headed. Okay. So Angel's in another room right now. Listen, I didn't know he was there. But um, okay. So how did you like the first podcast? I, I thought it was uh, really good. I could have used more LeBron and less me. Okay. Um, but no, I mean, I think Dave Wine, who's our producer, said if this if that's the roughest uh, one we do all all year and we grow from there, then we're in really good shape. And so I think we're onto something here. The first one was was great. I mean, it's not often that you get someone like LeBron talking to us. I thought Plashke's story on Kirk Gibson and yeah. all the different things were just great. And so I think that's a little window into where we're headed. I think it's a really great start. And I think it's something that we can definitely build on as we get going. One so. of the things that I was told by my friend, Patrick, the mailman, who said, you took me inside the LA Times. I think that's one of the things that we can do here on the podcast is take the listener to the stadium, to the venues. That's really kind of the mission of what we're trying to do here is kind of open the window into what our reporters experience on a day-to-day basis. And I think as we go, obviously, we want to be responsive to the news that's happening. But I think the more that we can bring that to people, the the better. But obviously, I mean, like now we're in the World Series. And so getting some reaction from out there, I think, is important. The timeliness is always an issue. The more that we can take readers behind the scenes, the better. Let's take them all there. That's Angel Rodriguez. AJ Rod is his Twitter, the sports editor of the LA Times. I'll bet the Duran, your host of Arrive Early, Leave Late. You gonna stick around? I'll be listening. How about that? I like to be surprised when I when I, I get the. I don't link. like you coming into the studio right now because I feel nervous. All right, all right I'll leave. All right, I'll, so I'll, let, I'll, let me do my opening again. Arrive early, leave late. This podcast is for the fans. As we take you not just around LA sports, we take you around. The entire country, the entire world, because the LA Times is there. They will have a writer, a reporter, a video crew. They got people everywhere. And when I say they, they are the best. Arrive early, leave late. Now, let's get talking about the World Series. Andy McCullough it covers the Dodgers for the LA Times. does a great job for them. Andy, this is your third year with Dave Roberts, right? Yes, that's correct. So you two came to LA together, right? Yeah, we weren't a package deal, but the timing did work out that way. Yes. Okay. And I'm pretty sure the payroll is the same, so we'll get that. Okay, Uh, Angel Rodriguez will take care of you on that and your bonuses and all that good stuff. What's it like covering a World Series? It's like the job is normally, just kind of uh, more people reading. I mean, I think there's a lot more people around. There's a lot more cluster inside the clubhouse. You know, you got to wade through a lot of nonsense, I guess, to ask the questions you need to ask. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a challenge, but I think also, you know, you you have a benefit at this time of year because a lot of times the players will be sort of more welcoming towards a familiar face than they might be on, you know, June 15th or that sort of thing. So I've been doing this for a while now, and it's just kind of, it's just, it's, it's part of the gig, I guess. And there's more pressure, there's more deadline pressure, but, um, you know, you got to enjoy it, I guess, you know, because these are the most exciting games of the year, and so I try and get into that. Yeah, because now the stars go to the podium, they go to the press conference room, the managers go there. So how do you as a writer who's a beat guy get any kind of information that's different from anybody else? I think just grabbing guys one-on-one, you know, and, and the you know the point of the, the endeavor is you try and build relationships with people 
so that, you know, you're able to, you know, I was able to have some time with Dave Roberts in his office after game seven, you know, it was just me and him in there. And, you know, in the past, you know, I've had that sort of thing with, you know, Clayton Kershaw and other different guys. And so I think you just, you know, Justin Turner after game two, when he hit that walk off against the Cubs, I was able to kind of wait him out on the field and get him one-on-one. It's really just a matter of if you spend the year building relationships with people, it can benefit you later in the season when they are a lot of times just coming off the podium and giving, you know, more sort of antiseptic answers there. But Andy, come on now, World Series, there's like 800 people that are credentialed. You have people like me that only show up for game seven. You got, you got to box people out, right? You got to throw some bows, got to move them out of the way. Nah, not really. Oh. I mean, most people don't don't really know what they're doing. So if you just kind of know <laughs> hey, how to hey, time things, personal. you can find them. <laughs> Andy McCullough covering the Dodgers in the third season. Has Dave Roberts changed from day one that you met him? Um, Not particularly. I mean, I think he's grown into the job and grown to sort of understand some of the, you know, the pluses and minuses that come back with it. I think he's become a little more immune to criticism. Obviously, you spend any time on social media or talk radio or things like that. He's probably not the most popular manager in Dodgers history, and he's had to take a you know a fair amount of that, and I think a fair amount of that has filtered into him, or filtered down to him, I guess. And I think he's sort of learned how to deal with that and how to handle it. But for the most part, I mean, he's pretty much about the same. You know, he interacts with his players in the same way. He keeps his door open to the clubhouse. He tries to communicate with his guys in the same way. And and his players say the same sort of things about him in 2018 that they did in 2016, you know. So I don't think it's changed him too much at all, to be honest. The criticism, why? He's gone to the playoffs and two World Series. I think a lot of baseball fans just don't like the way modern baseball is played. And that's a a criticism that I can relate to because a lot of games really are boring. And a lot of things happen that are very different than the way the sport was played even 10 years ago, you know, just in terms of the pitching changes and the lineup alterations. And, you know, a lot of that stuff is data driven and, and based on, you know, things that are believed to be truisms, you know, based on the numbers and but I think, you know, for the casual fan, or not not even the casual fan, but just for the fan who misses the way baseball used to be played, the way the Dodgers do it is, you know, is fairly, it's fairly different. And so Dave Roberts represents kind of the avatar, a lot of those changes, you know, whether it's, you know, pinch hitting for guys in the second inning or trying to prevent the starting pitchers from seeing the opposing batting order the third time through, um, you know. But that's, sort of, modern, that's baseball and, in 2018, though. Yeah, and, and look, like, I get why fans might hate that. I wish that every playoff game was played like Game 7 of the 2001 World Series where Clemens and Schilling both went seven or eight innings and pitched through 130, 140 pitches. But that's just not the way the sport is anymore, you know, for, for better or for worse. I get why fans might just sort of be irritated with the way it's played, but that's not really Dave Roberts' responsibility. He's making decisions based on what he believes and also what the front office believes will put the Dodgers in the best position to win. And look, it's kind of tough to argue with the results, you know? So why are Dodger fans mad at you? I see your Twitter, Andy. Oh, I'm just really good at trolling. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, you know, Dylan and I do the job differently in a lot of different ways, but we have more similarities, I think, than people give us credit for. We both really understand how to antagonize uh, people on social media. Why are you trolling Dodger fans? I mean, I just, uh, I bored them, you know? <laughs> I feel like I'm pretty uh, straight-laced and uh, measured in the paper, but, you know, in social media, I tend to try and have more fun. And a lot of times, mostly just because it's late at night and I'm tired, you know? And no. I just would like to have some sort of dopamine rush, and so that comes in the form of just seeing my mentions explode. Uh, I used to do that the same way. When I was there on a Tuesday night against Cincinnati, 
Oh, yeah. Then I realized, what am I doing arguing with these people? Why? But I love the way that you do it. Andy McCullough covers the Dodgers for the LA Times. I, I like yours because you do it in a deadpan kind of way where people don't know that they're getting trolled. So good. Andy McCullough, definitely be talking to him more and more, especially in the offseason because, you know, baseball doesn't stop anymore it, every single day because you got to get to that computer to figure out what your next lineup is. Right, Andy? Yes, exactly. You need to get your fantasy team set, do your DFS, all that. Hey, what's your Twitter? Uh, it's at McCullough Times. M, lower C, capital C? Correct. U-L-L-O-U-G-H, Times. Oh, we know how to spell here. I'd arrive early, leave late. <laughs> cool, Andy. Thank you very much, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Have fun. Talk to you soon. World Series coverage is just crazy. I went to Game 7 last year. I worked it. Who would I work for? I worked for some Spanish TV station last year. It was just out there. It was just cool. One of great vibes to be at. But there's nothing cooler for me than covering the Lakers in the NBA Finals. I was there for 2009, 2010. Actually, I was there. Eight when they lost to Boston. Nine in Orlando. And ten when they beat Boston in Game 7. But a man who's been around the NBA for a while. A man who only has initials when you go around the NBA. (laughs) He's known to the readers as Broderick Turner. He's known to everybody who's kind of cool with him as Brad Turner, <laughs> but the ones in the know, they know that there's only one BT in the NBA. How you doing, BT? Better. I'm doing great, man. Yeah. Look at you wrecking knowledge on your NBA Finals experience with the Lakers. Yeah, what? Well, the, when they told me, hey, who do you want to talk to to talk about Lakers in the NBA, LeBron, Shaq, Kobe, I was like, la, 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 la. We love Tanya. We love Dan Wojcicki, but they're too young. They weren't around for the 2000 run. Man, that means I'm just old. That's no, all. It means you're experienced. Okay, I'll take that. It means you got energy. It means yes, you got sir. stories. Yeah, you yes, got yes. vibes. All that. All that. How long have you been a reporter, BT? Man, about 30 years. No. Yes. I know I got this young looking yeah, face. Yeah, you do. Benjamin Button's going backwards. <laughs> okay, I'm brother Benjamin Button's, but about 30 years, man. No way. I'll tell you, one of the funniest stories, two years ago, the Lakers were waking up Lonzo Ball at the facility. Magic's there, so is Lamar Odom, and he looked coherent. Lamar and I are talking. Magic walks by and says, Lamar, I broke him in. And Lamar goes, word? I said, yes, L.O. I used to work for a weekly newspaper. I got to cover the Lakers. I didn't know what I was doing. Magic says, you still don't know what you're doing. (laughs) I said, well, a little bit more. So it shocked Lamar to hear that, that I covered Magic Johnson as a 22-year-old kid. No, you didn't. Working for a weekly newspaper in Pasadena, I got to see them finally beat the Boston Celtics. Wait, you did Showtime? Yes. Shaq and Kobe and uh, Pagasol. Yes. Guess this is my, what, third time and around? You're back I, around I, there. Wow. Wait a minute. See, I, how about okay. that? I was going to ask you about LeBron James, <laughs> but now I got to figure this out because LeBron showing up to LA, it's mm. a huge deal. But if you were there when Magic was running Showtime, right? you were there when Shaq showed up, you were there when Kobe showed up, Yes. where does the LeBron showing up factor at? I'm going to say it tops it all. Really? Because there's so much more media and there's worldwide media. Just think the very first game they played at home against Houston on Saturday night. Crazy. There was something like 250 media people there. No like it's the NBA Finals. I mean, that's crazy to you know, think You're of. right. Because NBA Finals, yes. remember, uh, who's that VP, uh, NBA guy? Tim Frank. Tim Frank. Spoke with him oh, today. Okay. Yes. He, I remember him saying one time the NBA Finals, they credential around 300 people. 
There was two fifty for two fifty for LeBron James first home what? regular season game at Staples. It was maddening. It was crazy. It was fun. Yeah, but it was just this idea that this is who he is, who LeBron James has become. You have probably the guy with the biggest image, the biggest brand in sports, with a franchise that's had one of the biggest brands in sports coming together. Think about that. That's a lot of brand power. It's crazy. I went to the game on a Tuesday night, and I went to buy my son, who's 13. He wanted a LeBron jersey. There's none in the stores. Really? At, at Staples Center. There, you, you can have the huge adult sizes, like yeah. the 4X, but there's nothing there. But were you happy because you saved that money? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you're Kobe Jersey cool, bro. You're good. You're good. <laughs> but for my daughter, I wanted to get her a LeBron t-shirt. Right. It was hard to find just wow. the t-shirts around. They said that the people working said they can't keep the LeBron stuff in stock right now. And I believe it. I see it. But you who are on the inside, what's he like dealing with? I'll tell you, the first time I really got a glimpse of it was the day he announced he was signing in July. I was at a cigar shop in South Pasadena with my friends, smoking a cigar, watching baseball. And all of a sudden, it comes up on the screen in the ticker, LeBron James has agreed to a contract with the LA Lakers. The cigar shop went crazy. And all I thought was, damn, I got to go to work. <laughs> you and, do, yeah. But that was the reaction you got from these gentlemen that were in there smoking a cigar, watching the Dodgers on TV, and they were just excited. So I put my cigar out, I drove home, and I went to work. That was the beginning. It's only increased since that time. They sold out preseason games. Did they? Think about that. Preseason games. If I recall correctly, I don't think Kobe and Shaq did that. Of course, they won so much, and I think fans got a little jaded, yeah. and they began to think it's always going to happen. And I wonder if Laker fans were starving for that next star. It's been a while. Not knowing after Kobe left if they would get that star. Kevin yeah. Durant wouldn't talk to them. They couldn't get LaMarcus Aldridge to sign here. I mean, they were in dire straits. Yeah. Then the biggest star, dare I say, in the universe, he is the biggest star in the U.S., if not one of the biggest in the world, decides to come and play for the Lakers. When Kobe came, he was... Uh, leaving high school, so we didn't know mm. much about him. He wasn't a, a game changer like LeBron is. When Shaq signed as a free agent from Orlando, he was a game changer, right? Mid-90s. The yeah. Lakers were all kind of in that area, too, he, where they're now. He was. If I recall, Jerry West was, was the general manager of the Lakers, and he signed him during the Olympics in Atlanta. And there's this picture of Shaq walking out of some restaurant someplace and he's there with Jerry West and uh, Jerry is like ecstatic now if you know Jerry he doesn't, he he, doesn't, he doesn't get very happy about it. he's you know he's got his issues to deal with and his demons there I say but he was ecstatic he's never happy Laker no never happy Laker yeah. fans were ecstatic how could you not be excited yeah. because you had someone who's becoming one of the biggest stars in the league because MJ was still playing then yeah, and they true. were a bunch of stars out there but he was this guy who wanted, not only was he this great player, but he had this incredible personality. Mm -hmm. Fun, loving, kind. Because there were some bad Laker teams before that. Oh, man. The Nick Van Exel. Oh, one, two, three, Eddie Cancun. Jones. One, two, three, Cancun. Oh, come on. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I love Eddie, Eddie Jones, Jones. But I was like, you, come on, man. Like, Elvin Campbell. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I was in high school. I was like, okay, cool. Shaq, star. But LeBron is a bigger deal. 
he is a bigger deal. Someone was telling me that work for the Lakers, if I remember correctly, that he has more Instagram followers than the top three NFL players combined. Jeez. I don't know what that is because unlike you, Bertrand, I don't have all that I'm social media stuff. Right you know? right, I'm about to look at the Instagram. I mean, so sure. if you think about that, these are people around the world that are interested in LeBron James. 43.8 million followers for LeBron on Instagram. Are you serious? 43.8 million. That's like you, Beto. You got it like, but you have double that amount. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what IG account. Yeah, that's with my uh, my my uh, my burner account. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we all have one. Yeah, we we do. Yes, that's crazy. It's crazy to think about that. And when you are around a person like LeBron, what's been your dealings with him? You know, it's been pretty good. I mean, he did allow Tanya. They had to sit down with yeah, him. That was good. That was a very good job by her, and we were happy that that happened. But you just you feel this energy. The very first game in Portland, he's sitting in his seat, and all he's doing is just watching TV, watching a basketball game. And there must have been 15 cameras just taking pictures of him doing that. I've never seen that before. Couldn't go anywhere to hide, and I don't think he wanted to go anywhere to hide. They wanted to see him put on his jersey, but he just sat there and he watched TV, listened to his music, and there were people just around him. I watched the people. It was so entertaining to me when Luke Walton walked in. I said, Luke, look at that. I can't get used to this. And he goes, BT, you better get used to it because that's the way it's going to be. And that's the way it has been and will continue to be. So what's your role this season covering the Lakers? Man, you know, that's kind of a good question. Because, you know, our bosses are listening right now. I know they are. So we can, uh, so do you, you know, get to travel? I do travel some. Okay. The big thing was I've been traveling doing the NBA since like 1996. Oof. And last season with the Clippers, the last 30 days of the season, they spent 23 days on the road. Ooh. It wiped me out more than it yeah. ever had. And they were on the road every week. So I told Angel that I just couldn't physically, mentally, spiritually do it anymore, that if we could make some changes, I hope we would. If not, I would apply for a job at Starbucks and become a barista and drive Uber at night, a Lyft, one of them. It's not that you're complaining about the the job. It's just the the The, 4 a.m. wake-up call to get to the airport, to land in the city where there's, especially the second night of a back-to-back. It it, it takes a drive. You've been 23 years? 23 years. It took its toll to the point where I just knew that I I didn't want to do it that way anymore. Yeah. So fortunately, because we got this new great owner, yeah. thank you, Mr. Patrick. You shit. Thank you, sir. Thank you, doctor. We uh, now have more employees, more people covering the league. So I'll spend most of my time covering the Lakers with Tanya. I will supplement whatever she does. I will do mostly sidebars. I'll do some game stories when she's taking time off. For example, coming up, I'm going down to San Antonio to see those Spurs again to watch them play Saturday. And I'll do some traveling, but not a whole lot right now. That could change because this team, even though they're winless, they're still the team to see. Without a doubt, the ticket prices for these games are oh. crazy. Ooh. The demand, it's crazy how one person, it's only in basketball how one person can change the identity one of somebody. One person, think about that. Kind of like you, Beto. Things yeah. change when you're around. Brother. I show up, we get a podcast. Yes, we I'm do. <laughs> Brad Turner, what's your social media? It is B8 underscore Turner. Yeah, on Twitter. That's where you get the news from BT, the one and only Broderick. Oh, Brad. Ooh. BT. Ooh, I like it when you say that. Sam Farmer, the NFL columnist for the LA Times. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great, Beto. Heading into the uh, midway point of the NFL season here. You fly every weekend? 
Not every weekend. Uh, lately, I've been covering the Rams till they lose or become irrelevant. <laughs> so uh, uh, I'm home for those home games, and I, they've been away the last three weeks. So it's nice that they'll have a home game this week against right. the Packers. Okay, so there's Gary Klein who covers the Rams for the LA Times. That means he's at every practice, every game. Jeff Miller's at every Charger practice, every game. They're the beat writers. Yes. You are the NFL columnist. What does that exactly mean? Oh, well, um, back it up a little bit. Uh, I used to be an NFL beat writer. I covered the Oakland Raiders for the San Jose Mercury News from 1995 to 2000. When I came down to the LA Times, obviously there was no team in Los Angeles. And that created a really interesting dynamic because you've got the second largest media market and a market that the NFL is intensely interested in and wants to maintain a presence in and use as a leverage point to get deals done in every other city. So since in the 20 years that the NFL was out of Los Angeles, 27 teams got either brand new stadiums or stadiums that were uh, at least $400 million worth of renovation. So long way of saying, I covered the league in, and I still do look at the whole league. Now, I now look at it through the lens of the Rams and the Chargers, but I still will write stories around the league. And one of the really cool things about the job, and it was a unique job and has been a unique job, is that the LA Times opens so many doors for you. So I've climbed Mount Rainier with Roger Goodell, or I've watched games on a Sunday with John Madden. I've had a week with Pete Carroll and, and where he gave me an office at the Seahawks, and I could see how things go there, or traveled with an officiating crew, any number of things over the years. This year, matter of fact, the, the first game of the season, I spent 48 hours with Troy Aikman going through his preparations for a Fox Sunday game. So it's really provided me with some once-in-a-lifetime kind of experiences that I try to share with readers. All right, I already know that you're going to have to come back and we're going to do a special hour because I wrote down Mount Rainier, John Madden, the officials, and Pete Carroll for a whole week. That's an entire <laughs> podcast show right there. Story time with Sam Farmer is coming up. Yeah. Sales team, get on it because we're going to get – I'm already ready to go. Okay, I got to stay locked in and focused. Jack, okay. that's what I, I get all excited, Sam. Yeah. So in 2000, you said you come to L.A. to be the NFL writer. There was – no NFL in LA. For me, I've told the story where the NFL left me when I was in 10th grade. I figured that out. And before that, when they were in junior high in the mid 90s, both teams sucked. So right. if you're a 12, 13 year old kid, you're not paying attention to the teams that are terrible. Yeah. So I really had no, I had an interest in the NFL, but it, we knew that they were leaving. So there wasn't really any fandom about me. My friends stayed Raider fans. So that's why I know about Joe Bugle and White and the right. terrible teams they had. But how do you apply for a job that says you're going to cover the NFL in a city? that has no NFL. That doesn't make sense. It was a very strange and unique job. It's a little bit you make of it what you're going to make. And it's it's a fascinating period for the NFL to be out of Los Angeles because that was the rise of Sunday Ticket and the internet and fantasy football and all those things which leave the league kind of fractured because, look, if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, say, you could live in L.A. and follow the team as closely living in L.A. as if you lived in Ohio. So it became a sport that Los Angeles consumed from the couch and didn't think about having its own team. And so it's had to get back up to speed. And, and, and fantasy football also sort of fractures the league because you're thinking about you got a running back in Denver and you got a mm-hmm. quarterback in Dallas and you got a, a defense in Chicago. We all know about the third running back in 
Cincinnati. Exactly. Because of fantasy. Things we didn't even think about before. And so that all works against the NFL returning to Los Angeles because getting a whole city galvanized behind a team, especially in a city with, that has nine pro teams and there's so many things to do in LA, is very difficult. And teams are finding that out now. You know, the Rams have their early struggles, although they're getting momentum now. Uh, the Chargers are going through it and there's no, not necessarily any end in sight in that regard. So I remember reading you in the 2000s and when I started working in this business at ESPN Radio and, you know, you read everything that's going on. And I was always the guy that would go on the radio station. But look, I've heard the story before. I've heard it since the 90s about how every single team is going to move to L.A. and they're going to build a stadium. Yeah. And then, oh, let's build them a new one in the city we're in. We were a pawn. I'm born and raised in L.A. and I hated that we were always that pond that we're going to move to LA, yeah. but oh, now we, our city funded a new version. Now, I remember this, and Angel Rodriguez, the sports editor, reminded me that there was a running joke between you and the other NFL media at the NFL meetings, right? Like, you got to ask the first question? Well, at the Super Bowl, every year, I'd ask, I'd ask the same question, you know, it, it couched differently, and I'd, I'd try to get unique ways to, to ask it, but essentially, when's LA getting a team? And so you right. would ask the first question every time? Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and finally, it was funny— once we got the Rams and then got the Chargers, you know, it was really awkward. And, and Roger Goodell— Wait, before the, how many years would you ask that question? Oh, I mean, uh, 18 years <laughs> I asked that question one way or another. It became like a, a thing. One year I didn't ask it, and the NFL, like, um, kind of freaked out. I mean, I had so many people in the league, including the commissioner, come to me and say— We've been boning up on an answer on L.A. Well, you didn't ask a question. And I said, well, I'm tired of getting the same <laughs> BS answer. There's just no answer to the question. So so uh, that final year when the Rams came and the Chargers came, I needed a capstone question to end this sort of charade of asking the question. So I asked Roger, I said, uh, now that we've got the Rams, now that we got the Chargers, when will Los Angeles stop getting football teams? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it became a running. It was definitely a running joke at the Super Bowl, and has been um, for quite some time. But you're right. I mean, L.A. was a sledgehammer that 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 uh, owners held over the heads of their cities. It was the other woman, and some were more subtle. Some owners were more subtle about it than others. I went back and I counted 17 franchises that invoked Los Angeles. Uh, as a possible landing place, seventeen Se more than half the league. So used over that period, and so some are more subtle than others. Like the Colts, uh, before they got uh, Lucas Oil Stadium, you know, Jim Irsay left his his plane with a Colts horseshoe logo on it out at Van Nuys Airport for a month. And uh, Ziggy Wilf, the owner of the Vikings, when they were thinking about moving to Los Angeles, or at least wanted to intimate that they were going to move to Los Angeles had his Vikings plane at LAX. So, you know, people see that, they drive by, they see the Vikings yeah. plane, and you can't help but but think, boy, if you wanted to do this in secret, why didn't you cover the tail section of that plane? It's been, let's say, an interesting time. Now, I could paper the walls of my house with the number of failed uh, 
failed renderings of stadiums. All I'm the ideas. Born and raised in Carson, I'm the unofficial yes. mayor. I know <laughs> how many ran- the hacienda. Yes, Remember the hacienda? Of course, Michael Ovitz. <laughs> yes. yes, everything was coming to Carson. Everything's uh, uh, yeah. Oh, Magic Johnson's going to buy a team. Yeah, uh, Tom Farmers Cruise. Field. Oh yeah. Yeah, Tom Cruise, Garth Brooks. All these guys are going to buy teams. Oh yeah, so and so. And I realized that the NFL doesn't care if you're a star. And you want to buy a team. Oh, Joe Montana wants to buy a team. Oh, Magic Johnson wants to buy a team. They don't care. They want to know who's going to write the bigger check. And so it doesn't matter. So whenever I hear now that the Panthers come up and maybe P. Diddy wants to buy the Panthers, I'm like, well, how big a check can he write? And that's That's all it is, huh? It's a fascinating time right now for the NFL because I was in New York last week at the NFL owners meetings. They lifted the prohibition on cross ownership. So what does that mean? If I'm Stan Kroenke, who does, in fact, own the Denver Nuggets and the Colorado Avalanche, I really, under the old rules, I couldn't do that. I had to put that in a family trust because I could own the Dodgers, the Kings, the Lakers, and the Rams, okay, all in one city, all in one market. But what they don't want to do is pit one owner against another. So for Stan, he couldn't own the Rams and be the controlling owner of the Nuggets and the and the Avalanche because as the controlling owner of the Nuggets and Avalanche, he would be going head-to-head in Denver over the sports dollar with the Broncos owner, Pat Bolin. So now they've listed that prohibition. So you can get a guy like, for instance, Steve Ballmer could buy the Seahawks if the Seahawks were to change hands after the death of Paul Allen. Uh Steve Ballmer could buy the Seattle Seahawks and own the Clippers at the same time. Two different NFL markets. Is that why Kroenke's kids run the Nuggets? Yes, Okay. exactly. But now, with the new rules, Kroenke can run the Nuggets, Kroenke can run the Avalanche, and his kids could conceivably run the Rams. So it's just, it opens it up. But what that does, practically speaking, is it it opens the universe up of potential NFL owners. Now, you say, why did the NFL do this? Well, you know, some might say, well, it's a long, outdated process, uh, uh, rule that sort of outlived its usefulness because the NFL should be able to stand on its own and not worry about NBA competition in a city or whatever. But I look at it and I say, the Carolina Panthers didn't get enough money, didn't get enough bidders, um, David Tepper, who just bought the team, they didn't have a lot of bidders, but there were NBA owners who wanted to buy the Panthers. So why don't we widen the universe of potential owners so we get a bigger pool? Because to buy now that these franchises are approaching $5 billion. $5 billion. Yeah, the Cowboys are valued at $5 billion. Oh you need, and, and the debt limits are such in the NFL that really you've got to come up with the cash for 30% of that. So five that's $1.5 billion dollars that you have to, on a $5 billion franchise. So you need to create as big a pool, cast as wide a net as possible for NFL owners. Now, what does this mean, practically speaking? Because fans don't care about who owns what and whatever. You know, I mean, now you might care about it if you sort of embrace the idea that ownership winning starts at the top. And if you've got a good owner, it it's top to bottom it really helps. But also you look and... and Seattle situation I mentioned, what if Steve Ballmer were to buy the the Seahawks and then decide, I want to bring basketball back to Seattle. I'm going to move the Clippers up to Seattle. So it creates a lot of interesting scenarios that didn't exist before. That is fascinating. You went to school at Occidental? Yeah, I did. Did you major in? 
I was an English major. Uh, so you, there should be no math when you're an English major, right? <laughs> now you're in the NFL. I was told there'd be no math. Right? Now, this is why we get into this business, because there is no math. We right. hate statistics. <laughs> now all you're doing is numbers. You're talking about billions and the, the, the it's craziness of that. It's insane. I mean, the back when I started, they were talking about you know putting $150 million into a stadium. Now that doesn't build the concession stands. That doesn't build the bathrooms. I mean, Stan Kroenke Stadium is going to cost north of three billion dollars. And the first in Inglewood. phase in Inglewood, and the first phase of that stadium, which we can see looking out the window here at the Times, is um, is five billion in in total. When you talk about NFL Network and the sixty five hundred seat performance venue that's going to be attached to the stadium, so five billion dollars for a stadium. It's staggering. Okay, you cover the NFL, Sam Farmer. I am the postgame host for the Chargers on AM570 Radio. I go down to practice. I see that. I know they're not getting much attention, but that's a good squad. I also Mm -hmm. worked for the Rams the first year they were here, and to see where they're at to where they're now, that is an excellent squad. Ideally, could it possibly happen in a crazy world where you have two L.A. teams in the Super Bowl? It could absolutely happen. I mean, you look at those teams, you look at the Chargers right now, they're rolling, they have Phillip Rivers. Obviously, injuries have been a something that's forever, um, you know, this, this has been a snake-bit franchise. But if they can keep guys healthy, now they and get Joey Bosa back to think how good that defense could be when they get Bosa back. Phillip Rivers, great player. They've got, uh, you know, they've got very good receivers, uh, as you know, and the AFC is kind of wide open. I mean, yes, you have the Patriots there lurking, but there aren't a lot of other AFC powerhouse teams. We've seen the Chiefs um, get off to great starts and then fade. And so, and they've got a young quarterback who's essentially a rookie in Patrick Mahomes. And then the Rams, it's it's unbelievable. They see they're almost running away with the NFC right now. They have a game and a half lead on the NFC. Uh, some key games coming up. They play the the Chiefs in Mexico City. The the NFL could not be happier that they got that game for Mexico yeah, City. Golf and could Mahomes in Mexico City. Yeah, wow. could be the the game of the year in the NFL right now. I did some little number crunching uh, yesterday at the game. The Rams are um, their point differential is plus one oh seven right now, and the rest of the NFC West is minus 126. (laughs) So you think about that spectrum and the way they're scoring. They've only had one game out of the 30s. They didn't even look that great on offense. They had some issues. They missed uh, missed some opportunities, and they scored uh, 39 points, their highest point total of the year. So defensively, they've come around. Offensively, they're always going to be there. And you know, special teams now they got Zerline back. So that's a that is a team that is definitely playing, as they say, complementary football. So I think it's entirely possible that if they approach the playoffs, because they're they're almost certainly going to get a bye. Um, right now, just to get where they were last year at eleven and five, they have to go four and five. Now who thinks the Rams are going to go four and five? When they play the Niners again, they play the uh they play the Cardinals again. I mean it's just not gonna happen barring an injury so i think there's a there's a very good chance i wouldn't say it's a bet i would necessarily make right now but i don't see uh, it's it's entirely within the universe of of possibilities sam farmer la times farmers where you don't want to follow him on twitter does a great job every weekend all kinds of great stories and definitely going to be a big guest on the arrive early leave late podcast
The second episode is done. I can't believe the time flew by. Great stories from Sam Farmer, Brad Turner, Andy McCullough. We're going to keep on churning these out. Please subscribe, share, review us on iTunes. We're going to read all the comments. We're going to go and we're going to adjust. Every single episode, I think, is going to have a different flavor because we want to make sure that we're giving the audience and the listeners and the readers what they desire when it comes to arrival or leave late. And the beauty of this is that we can evolve together me the writers the listeners and we're gonna keep on doing that arrive early leave late produced by dave wine engineered by mike heflin associate producer today mark potts for angel rodriguez and the entire la times sports staff i'm beth Durant. thank you for listening to arrive early leave late an la times studios production